This is a CBC Podcast. Well, the federal government says it has a plan for a just transition as it tries to move away from the use of fossil fuels. Alberta's premiers are already ready to fight the bill, arguing it will kill jobs. And Saskatchewan's government says it's also watching closely. Well, this comes as social media users are criticizing the premier, tweeting hashtag blocked by Mo. For more on the week in political news, we're joined by our political panel. Adam Hunter covers politics for us here at CBC Saskatchewan. Murray Magic writes a political column, political column for the Regina Leader Post in Saskatoon Star Phoenix. Good morning, Murray. Good morning. Good morning, Adam. Good morning, Peter. So, Adam, what can you tell us about this just transition legislation? Well, as you mentioned, Peter, uh, this is something that's come up in Alberta, and now we're hearing a reaction to it in Saskatchewan this week. Minister of Justice Bronwyn Ayer said that you know, the province would be uh, looking at this, potentially using the Saskatchewan First Act and an economic tribunal that it plans to set up to study whether the just transition will be a, a positive or negative for Saskatchewan's economy. Alberta's Premier Daniel Smith is calling it a job killer, while the federal government and federal minister Jonathan Wilkinson, who says this legislation will be coming, says it's going to do the opposite. It's going to create jobs in a low-carbon economy for people transitioning out of jobs in coal and oil and gas. Uh, so this is a, a fight that hasn't happened yet. We haven't seen this legislation from the federal government, and we haven't had the Saskatchewan First Act passed either. So it's a bit of hypothetical, but that's where we're at as far as the debate goes here in, here in Saskatchewan. It's a little bit different than what's happening in Alberta. Murray, it doesn't seem too surprising to me. What do you make of that response? Well, uh, credit Bronwyn Ayer, our Justice Minister responsible for the Saskatchewan First Act, for at least saying that she will wait until she sees what's happening in the legislation. Evidently, that's not what's happening with Daniel uh, Smith in Alberta, who has vowed to fight it already. I'm a little bit from Missouri when it comes to believing that these things are anything other than another provincial federal fight, and here's why. The first statement that Bronwyn Ayer put out this week related to this basically talked about agriculture. Well, we know that the just transition is focused on carbon jobs, and carbon jobs are important to Saskatchewan. There's no particular reason that we should necessarily believe and or trust everything our federal government is telling us. We've, we've seen what happens in terms of the rise of the carbon tax compared to what they promised in the 2015 election, and we have a huge problem in terms of Estevan and coal and other things. That said, if we get support for small modular reactors in the Estevan area, isn't that just transition? Isn't what they're doing on the potash mine uh, in, at, in, at Janssen right now just transition? Uh, federal government putting $100 million in uh, to make it more environmentally friendly and make it work. Can we not have an intelligent, mature conversation sans politics with, uh, on, on these particular issues without that? The, the very fact that Air would raise the agriculture specter and talk about her tribunal that she hasn't appointed yet. And we know the problems that they had in terms of their white papers suggesting that uh, the federal policies are costing us $111 billion. We know the, the problems with the accuracies of the numbers. There seems little reason to trust uh, the uh, federal uh, the provincial government at a time when we got ample reason not to trust the federal government either. either. So I kind of feel sorry for the public on this one. Uh, I hope that they take a better response than they have. Well, speaking of uh, the public, I mean, uh, we should, Murray, we talk pretty much every Friday about divisions between the federal and provincial government here. Um, and we know throughout the past few years, the provincial government has had no problem. Oops, I'm going to turn my mic off. Uh, the provincial government has had no problem asking for more health care money. Uh, but we also learned this week from a CP story about 
our government asking for help during the fourth wave. What can you tell us about that? Great connection to what we're talking about, because this is exactly the existing problem since we've had a federal liberal government and a SAS party government that are at odds politically and with neither one of them really wanting to see the other in power, but the Saskatchewan party government being particularly aggressive about its stance. What it didn't do in October of 2021, according to federal uh, 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 FOIs from the Public Safety Administration and the Armed Forces, was ask for help. The province told us at the time that it didn't really need to ask the federal government for help. And you may recall that it was going to North Dakota and South Dakota and Ohio and every place else asking for assistance in COVID. And the Republican senators running those states at the time uh, were running basket cases when it came to their their response to COVID. They were in a bigger mess than we were, but they weren't going to Ottawa uh, to ask for help until they absolutely had to. And I remember the headlines I was writing uh, at the time about this being completely incompetent, the the handling of, of COVID at that time was especially bad because we were coming off the summer where they opened up everything or reopened everything pretty much and then basically decided to go on holidays all summer and not deal with the issues. And we we repeatedly wrote that, or I did, and was constantly criticized for, well, the, the province isn't doing that bad. Yes, they were doing that bad. Internal documents related to what the federal government was saying were just agog over the notion that they weren't actually either having their own numbers, understanding their own numbers, or asking for help until it became absolutely necessary. This is a huge loss for the credibility of Paul Merriman and Premier Scott Moe in the handling at the time. And what's even more maddening is they're not even talking or accounting for it right now. They have to. They should. And they will. Adam, sticking with healthcare, we've been talking on the show this week about the newly released voluntary long-term care guidelines. Uh, how are those being received in the province? This comes out of uh, you know the pandemic and the fact that you know Canada, of course, Saskatchewan had problems and, and Regina had problems at parks, uh, extended care Parkside, but across Canada, seniors' uh, homes and retirement homes were hit particularly hard. Canada was one of the worst as far as uh, you know death rates go in developed countries, and that's sparked these reviews and also now these new voluntary standards. Now the issue that uh, doctors and others say, critics say that these should be made mandatory in long-term care homes and that's also the the position from the opposition who's been calling for minimum mandatory uh, care standards in Saskatchewan long-term care homes for more than a decade now and the provincial government has said you know they have uh, standards of care, they have regulations we asked the health minister for seniors, Everett Henley, this week about uh, the voluntary standards. It was on the day where the standards came out. He said, you know, a chance to look at them and officials will be going over them. So we don't know how this would affect Saskatchewan's uh, response to how to handle long-term care. We know that uh, the SHA recently took over the five extended care uh, facilities in Saskatchewan just last year at the end of the year. So uh, we'll wait and see how the Saskatchewan government does respond to these and whether they uh, do go along with them. But as of right now, uh, these standards are just voluntary. Well, Adam, I want to shift gears quickly because I promised our listeners we would talk about this. Uh, I've been staying off Twitter as much as I can lately, so I kind of missed a lot of it. Uh, Twitter users are tweeting this week about being blocked by Mo. Adam, what's that about? 
Yeah, very briefly, you know, Scott Moe has a has an account on about I think five social media platforms, including Twitter. And the premier has made made no secret that you know he's kind of got off the apps on his phone to protect his mental health. And a lot of times, you know, most of the time, we believe that a lot of the tweets that are sent out are by his staffers. Uh, and this week, uh, his staffers that handle those accounts were came under fire for blocking people on Twitter. Um, that this comes out of a, a tweet by that, that account, by the premier's account, saying that catch and release works in fishing, but not so much when you're dealing with serious offenders. And that got a lot of uh, criticism from people, some people going on there to talk about the premier's uh, driving history and, and some of the problems he's had in the past and issues. And that, they say, led to some uh, blocking by by the provincial government and the, the people that are running these accounts. And uh, that is, I guess, where the controversy lies. Now, whether the premier sh- should be blocking accounts or can be blocking accounts is a whole other issue. Well, and Murray, it, I mean, it's a wild world in social media. And even if you are blocked, you can still find ways to see the uh, Premier's tweets. But what are your thoughts on all this? My thoughts are human beings aren't very nice sometimes. And and, uh, on Twitter, they're particularly obnoxious. In some ways, I absolutely don't blame uh, the Premier's staff for blocking what amounts to defamatory and uh, 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 tweets that in other circumstances people would be sued over. They're not being sued because they're often anonymous. They're not being sued because it's Twitter. That said, I think that people on Twitter also have a legitimate public issue. If the Premier is going to use his private, and I'm stressed that these are private uh, social media accounts that happen to be monitored and run by taxpayer paid for, salary paid for officials in his office, then maybe he needs to basically act in a more professional way and have these tweets the same standard as any other government account. In any other government account, you're not allowed to make political pronouncements that Premier Scott Moe makes on his private Twitter accounts, which he can, except for once again, the fact is they're run by government officials. Uh, but if he uses that for a combination of private uh, political announcements, largely critical of the federal government and supportive of the conservative government, as was it, uh, the case in this catch and release note that is in total sync with what Pierre Polyver is now saying mm. in Ottawa. If he's going to be doing that, and if he's also going to be using his private accounts to make public pronouncements, even before he makes them to the media, I suspect he put, sets himself up for this abuse. And this is where the problems lie. So someplace along the line, we need way better rules in terms of how social media accounts should function, particularly in the political world. You're not blocked, Murray? No, no, I get to speak to him every day, much to the chagrin of both of us on some days. <laughs> Gentlemen, thank you so much. Have a great weekend. Take care. Bye. You're welcome. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.